So I am your host and welcome to Inside Nearshoring with me, Alfie. So uh, welcome, Kirill. Thanks a lot for being here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Alfie, for inviting. Eh, no worries. So I think what we'll do is just to get everybody um, acclimated and we all know who we're talking to, um, I'd love for you to tell our viewers a little bit more about you know, who you are, what you do, uh, and why this, say, inside nearshoring uh, episode is important to you. Thank you. Uh, so, to be quite brief, I guess, I'm, I'm Kirill, or in, in the French part of Switzerland and in France, uh, Cyril. Uh, I'm CEO and the founder of company Mobilunity, uh, a Ukrainian-based company providing nearshore development services. Uh, our primary focus and our primary service is providing dedicated development teams. And this is what we are doing uh, for past four years. Uh, the company itself is approximately 200 people now. And uh, aside of my primary duty of like actually leading the company, of course, I'm, I'm uh, applying my best effort in uh, regards to promoting uh, to, uh, to be, well, really promoting the whole Neashorin idea to our uh, potential European markets and uh, or as uh, the people say in, in Israel or Japan, offshoring it is, whatever. So to make a long story short, uh, I'm very excited about your show launch. Uh, I'm uh, willing to be part of this pilot episode for now. And I would hope that uh, such a show and the episodes next with different people from different organizations, of course, would be of an interest to our potential uh, audience. Uh, and uh, hopefully things will work out very well. All right, awesome. So, so as you mentioned, this is all about uh, going inside and showing people things that you know, maybe they wouldn't have known years ago unless they had already tried nearshoring or unless they were kind of industry insiders. So with that being said, with the current situation, you know, with COVID-19, the pandemic, do you believe that this topic is something that is very important now? Or maybe people should just wait until, you know, the pandemic is over. I mean, how do you feel about that? Well, uh... I, I cannot advise to people, of course, I'm biased, but uh, what we can be fairly stating is that we see an increase of interest to what we are doing now. And the reason behind this is quite obvious and, uh, and uh, natural. The people are no more working in offices. So no matter what, you would still be coping and somehow working with remote people. Of course, right now, after maybe one or two months of uh, lockdown at homes and home offices, uh, the majority of companies are still working with the uh, developers, the teams that they were hiring uh, in offline mode. They know each other well, and uh, such uh, condition and circumstance uh, puts a little bit of constraint over the model overall. But if you think what may happen in, in six months from now, or maybe in a year, if the world is really changing towards the, the direction where the, all the futurists are now saying, uh, we'll be hiring people, staying remote, we'll be assessing them remote, we'll be judging on their soft skills and hard skills, all staying remote. And if it's all remote, then why limiting yourself to something that you have locally in your city or in your country? We see people are coming now more and more just to inquire, just to ask the questions about uh, how exactly this can be organized. 
and whether or not uh, such experience will be smooth for them. Uh, maybe sometimes they come over even just to hear how exactly we are managing our business because the core of it is still like working with remote development teams. And this is what we were doing for like past, as I said, four or five years. Uh, the companies who try this now, they of course get lots of challenges, lots of new things happening to them. But uh, I think uh, the, the answer to your question would be of course the readiness of a company, the, the scope and domain of where they operate. But down the road, uh, the uh, borders will be less uh, meaningful and significant to hiring and attracting the right people. Uh, okay. And this is what we believe in. All right. So, so, and it's interesting you said scope and domain, right? So with that being said, uh, who needs nearshoring? I mean, is it industry specific? Uh, are there industries you as a business owner would say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to touch that when it comes to nearshoring? Or is it pretty much everything? Could you please just give some insight um, you know, in, into, into that process and into how things work for the, for the people watching. Yeah, I can say that there are uh, some specific domains or industries or verticals, as we say, uh, that are more easier, let's say, are uh, applicable to Nyashari model. So something that is relevant to, let's say, e-commerce, this is a, a considerably easier topic than, let's say, banking just because of obvious uh, compliance, security, uh, legislation, and all the uh, questions like this. But uh, even looking at our 40 plus clients now, we are quite represented on a very various uh, industries. We have insurtech, we have insurance, we have fintech, we have little bit of banks, we have uh, e-commerce, we have small businesses, we have startups, we have uh, hardware and software. We have so many domains all in one model. Uh, so it seems that there is nothing that may say that, no, this is the best thing to go. And like, you know, if you are in this specific industry, go, go Ukraine, go Belarus, go, go Poland. Uh, this is the right move to, to do. And uh, the, or opposite, like, you know, some industries which are not, not to go. We have number of cases when uh, different sectors, different uh, domains, even these like, you know, security sensitive domains are still uh, utilizing the most of what nearshoring or offshoring can be providing. We have Israelis, uh, Israeli companies handling the security uh, for local domestic market and internationally, who are also having their teams in, uh, in Ukraine, for example. And things like that, they probably mean that there are no restrictions. They are just right and wrong things of making nearshoring or offshoring. And this is the matter of how people approach, how the businesses will actually consider this opportunity uh, and how they will be implementing this, uh, this challenge for themselves. All right. And now, now you mentioned, uh, you said rights and wrongs, right, of, of nearshoring. Now, I tend to believe that in most things, not just nearshoring, that a lot of it comes down to education, right? Um, do you know what to do, right? If you've ever gone into a restaurant and the service is horrible, I just feel like, you know what? Those people aren't trained. You know, they're not bad people. They're just not trained. So with that being said, do you believe that it's possible or necessary to train your clients, right? To understand what nearshoring is? Because to be honest, actually, let's get into that, right? What would be your definition of, of nearshoring? Okay, so nearshoring, uh, 
opposite to offshoring is an ability or a model when uh, the client is utilizing uh, the best of uh, countries and markets potential nearby to their domestic market. I'm not uh, willing to put accent or focus purely on labor market because, well, nearshoring models may vary and the way the engagement models may be on project-based or like R&D center or dedicated team or, or something else. We are not uh, touching up on this method. Nearshoring just uh, widens the, the borders around the country or some union, let's say European Union, uh, making it possible to collaborate, to build partnership with the countries nearby who are more or less of the like mentality and which is very important, uh, not too far from distance perspective and time zones. This would be probably my more or less formal definition, maybe too wordy one, but still like, you know, this is something that we put under the Nyashorin term. Okay, All right. well, the more words, the better. So don't worry about that. Uh, now, when it comes to you know, your current clientele, and um, what you've been building, what would you say is the hardest part about what you do? I mean, what's the most difficult thing, the difficult uh, aspect of being a supplier, right? Because obviously, I, now I would assume that the hardest thing about being a client is picking a provider, right? But what's the hardest thing about being a provider? Um. I think, uh, and you, you, you touched up on this, like asking your previous question, uh, it is a challenge for us as a supplier or a vendor to, uh, to convince our clients to listen to us or to trust us. Uh, the thing is that many are coming for the sake of like, no, maybe the, the, the market is very much limited mm -hmm. or uh, they need to be able to scale up or down very fast or they are seeking for specific technology talent that is not as available on the, on the market or whatever. But the thing is, once they come to a vendor like ourselves, uh, they got to be hearing and listening to what we advise. We are not, never making the decisions on behalf of our clients, but we are very proactive in our intent to be sharing what we already know. Because otherwise, if we were not uh, accumulating this experience from previous, years of ours and like, you know, hundreds of clients that we, we are working with, uh, then what would be our value that we are charging money for? So there is a good percentage of clients who are sure that they need the Neashorin services, who are certain about, let's say, in our case, Ukraine and Mobilunity as a company, but then when they come to us, they, uh, they stop listening to us. They may be doing their own things, well, just because it fits into their uh, process or maybe uh, things that were common for them in else destinations, maybe Asia or like not somewhere else, near shore, whatever. The thing is that we want to be heard. And of course, like, you know, we, we are applying our best effort in uh, our intent to be explaining and uh, proving that our expertise of a, is of a big uh, need and uh, value to our clients. This is a challenging uh, part, we, we, which I think is the, well, the most complex. If there is a full trust in between of the companies, not essentially we as a provider are always right. We are never telling a client how to act. We are bringing up the knowledge, the risks, the best practices, the cases we used to have, and we provide the recommendation, so to say. The decision will be still on client, but uh, if it's a decision made with the education in mind, with the ed educated decision, so to say, 
that would probably be the best uh, way of utilizing our model, our expertise, and our service. Okay. Now, now when we talk about education, because that, that tends to pop up a bit, right? Like I talk about it, you've talked about it, that word kind of pops up. And I guess the question is, um, other than hopefully, other than hopefully this, this show, right? Um, where would you say is a good place to start to learn about nearshoring, right? If, is it, uh, do you have things that, that you post or present? Is there some platform? Um, what, what would you say is the best way to learn about it? Uh, I can immediately mention probably one of the most trustworthy uh, sources for information that would be probably the peers around uh, every business. So we are certain that in Europe specifically, uh, it doesn't even require like, you know, these Facebook five handshakes or whatever. Yeah. If you ask your peers about their experience with Neashoring, I can be giving you a, like a 90% guarantee that most likely there was somebody who already has an experience like that. Mm -hmm. These little stories, they may be initially incomplete or they may be something to, to, uh, to, radical to uh, too straight like no i didn't like this ukraine is bad or oh, ukraine is super good go for ukraine these things if they're being asked like one by one and not analyzed in, in bulk uh, all together they may be a little bit confusing but once you get three four opinions from the peers around you i'm pretty sure that you would understand that well there are things definitely not worth of doing there are destinations at this moment definitely not of worth not worth of trying because of like some reasons and this network of yours will tell you about that then it comes to like you know to choosing the model and the vendors are capable of providing such models different engagement models outsourcing outstaffing dedicated teams managed teams uh freelancers whatever R&D center then of course like now you start reading a little bit of blogs but the, most blogs are still written by the people who are whether trying the services or who are actually providing them and uh, then it comes to a choice of a couple of vendors who might be on your shortlist uh, who you think are a fit from just the visual perspective you explore their website you you see uh, what they are writing about what they're telling about uh, things like that talking to these people would ideally bring any potential client or like no person interested to whether a point when uh, the person realizes that, well, these all models, these are not for me now, maybe in a year when we have, I don't know, more money, or maybe in a year when we need more people, or in a year when we are done with the vision towards the product, that may happen. Or the end point might be like, you know, okay, I like what these, these and these people are telling me from different organizations. Now I need to define like, you know, what's important to me as a potential client. I want this, 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 and that. Uh, such tips, such tricks, such methodologies are not as, I would guess they are probably the same in every industry. That's why I'm like, no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a, a question that is, on one hand, easy to answer. On the other hand, like, you know, if I would go for any service, I'd probably do the same. But then uh, there are people who are in this industry who are not uh, prompting you to, like, you know, to, uh, to buy from them right away. They're just, like, sharing the, a little bit of insight. And, like, your show 
probably would be one of uh, such such sources. My LinkedIn could be one of such sources. My blog on on uh, some platform might be such a, a source. The webinars that uh, some Polish company might be doing could be such a, such source of information. It's just a matter of how much time you might be willing to devote to like you know to getting prepared to this kind of analysis and conclusions. But I think overall the 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 structure of the approach would be probably like this. So trust but verify. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Now you did mention a few things that I want to kind of touch up, touch on at least. Um, I heard the term freelancer. Okay. So I know that a lot of people who are tuning in are going to say, well, what's the difference, right? What's the difference between me paying somebody directly and me dealing with this company? Uh, could you, you know, just give us a bit more information as to why not use a freelancer, right? If, if is nearshoring and freelancing the same thing, you know, tell us more about that. Good. Uh, first, I wouldn't advise not to use freelancers. I mean, like, you know, I'm not in that position. I mean, like, you know, even to clients of ours, if they come over and they are hesitant, we tend to be asking some questions to, to understand if they really need a vendor or maybe the freelancing model might be a fit for them. Uh, when it comes to freelancers, I think the most uh, tricky part is that you deal with the individuals, not the company and the liability and responsibility uh, would be exactly the same as the, the, this mode of model operates, right? Yeah. If you are working with a freelancer, you may be very lucky in getting an amazing person. And of course, you would be happy not to be paying any extras to a vendor in between of uh, your company and the actually executor and freelancer. On the other hand, uh, the freelancer himself might be in a good need for some environment or maybe some uh, some process that we as the vendor and supplier are providing. And in this case, the freelancer might be, for some companies and some models, might be more effective within our ecosystem than working directly. That's the freelancer's need. Yeah. Maybe the company who comes to us as a vendor, they want to ensure intellectual property uh, handling for example, yeah. they want to ensure there is a proper tracking of what is actually happening on the freelancer side without uh, like, you know, screen capturing or things like that, but they still want to be ensuring that this freelancer is physically at his desk, if it's an office, or uh, is reporting uh, in details on what exactly has been done, or maybe they like, you know, does the code commits, I don't know, like you know, twice a day, for yeah. example. It all comes from, from perspective of what the client might be willing to get and willing to receive as a service. Because if the service is just a person who sits somewhere and uh, does some job, freelancer might be perfect. Yeah. But what happens if, if a freelancer gets sick, if freelancer needs more money, but the wage doesn't allow him to earn more money? What happens if some richer client comes over to this freelancer and proposes like, you know, a little bit higher pay or maybe a, a more interesting project, will the client suffer from this kind of risk, so to say, or if the lancer decides to, to leave? And what would the vendor like ourselves do on such matters? Of course, we are put and we are designed in a way that like we got to be taking care of, of three R's of what we say are parts of near shoring. Relationships with the client, 
retention of the developers and recruiting of the developers for the new team and, uh, as it is. We provide this service with this specific value. So comparing us and the freelancers, the, the lead, the potential client needs to keep in mind whether or not they are in need for these specific items that we are offering. And they got to be asking the, the, the vendor, potential vendor, why would I work with you and not with the freelancers? If the vendor is not prepared to answer, I think you need a vendor or you need the freelancers. Okay, fair enough. Now you mentioned uh, your three R's, okay. Um, that was uh, relationships, uh, retention and recruitment, right? Those three. Now out of those three, which is the most difficult to maintain? Well, <laughs> I cannot choose any to be honest because it seems that they all are very much important. Uh, I can be saying purely from my personal perspective, uh, I can say that the relationship part is something that I myself, I'm investing most uh, of my efforts into just because, well, maybe because I have very good people uh, in charge of uh, you know, other two, and on the relationships part, I'm still like as a frontman of a company, I still need to be on, on the very edge of this and to be uh, representing the company together with my uh, partner at business development, you know. <laughs> ah, well, yeah. Okay, all right, fair enough. All right. So I, I suppose from, from that point of view, we get a good idea, right, of, of kind of the, the, the ups and downs or kind of the, uh, processes that go into place. So how about this? Okay. Uh, how about you share with us maybe not specifically, I don't want anyone to get mad. I don't want you to name any names, but um, what would you say would be an example of just, you know, a bad experience that, that you've had, right? As a, as a business owner, as a supplier, um, what has been really the, 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 the worst, so to speak, that, that you've had happen and, um, you know, did you see it coming? Was it something that was a shock? Uh, how did it get to that point? I can recall a couple of cases like this, but uh, oddly enough, like my example that I would be willing to share now is uh, not about the biggest client of our, uh, not about the richest client of ours. It's just about the client who was not, who stepped into this relationship with other, as a supplier without clear understanding why they do it. Mm. Uh, it was a company from, that doesn't matter where they're from. Uh, it was a, a quite a big company that uh, had a product and they uh, decided, I still cannot understand why they decided to go near shop. Probably because of the cost, I would suppose, but it wasn't even the case because the company is well-funded and uh, like, no, they, they didn't need it as much, as I would say. Mm. They did a big job in, in, in searching for the potential uh, vendors. They chose us. They were very right, so to say, at the disengagement part when we were ensuring that this is a right client for our developers. This is a right client to be running the long-lasting relationship and things like that. But then when the job actually started, when the team was provided, well, some, some weird things started happening. So there was lack of communication, there was lack of feedback, there was no direction given to the actual team of ours, there was no attention to important things to us as a vendor and to the development team whom we hired for them. 
So it was just a weird understanding by our side, of course, that like, you know, we are somehow already in this relationship with this client. We are willing to help, but we are not being heard. We are not being allowed to be talking on these matters, to be advising something that, well, would be very much important for the client uh, to actually well, survive or like, you know, to be successful with this remote team. It all lasted for like maybe five months yeah. when they literally we were paying for like you no know, service that they were not receiving in full because like you no know, whatever we were telling it wasn't heard whatever we were sending it wasn't read whatever we were asking wasn't followed up four or five months passed like maybe somewhere in between they had to cut the team they had to cut relationship with us and they they left unhappy just because they said like you know they, they, we were expecting something else. We, we, we are very much upfront honest with what we are providing, how this works, and what kind of time investment it requires, not speaking of financial investments. Yeah. We, we are, I think, very much transparent, but, well, it wasn't, it wasn't taken this way, unfortunately. Maybe due to some gaps on our side as well. I don't know. Like, no, I'm biased. I'm, I was on one of the sides, right? But uh, probably that was the case that I would be just giving here, uh, stressing out that it is very much important to any vendor who wants to do their job good to be in the full communication, in full trust mode with the uh, client of theirs. And this is what we are trying to make with every client of ours as well, of course. All right. Now, now, now with, your, with Mobile Unity's clients, not everyone is in Europe, right? So you have people from around the globe. Uh, when it comes to that communication bit, how do you manage that when it comes to language and time difference, right? Because mm -hmm. we're dealing with different countries, um, different, um, I suppose, cultures, belief systems. I'm pretty sure there, there are countries that do not refer to what you do as nearshoring, right? I've heard body leasing. I've heard, I mean, this doesn't sound right to me, but I've, I've heard it before. Um, what would you say to that? I mean, how do you manage that? I agree it is a challenge and I agree it's way easier for us and for the teams to be working somebody in like, you know, in standard meaning of neoshoring, right? Mm -hmm. If it's Switzerland or Germany or France or UK or Norway, Sweden, we are like, you no, know, that's two, three hours flight, uh, one or maximum two hours time difference. That's easy. When it comes to, let's say, further markets, like maybe North America or maybe Asia, uh, it is different from, from uh, the process of organization point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, the client is not present during the time when the team is operating. We are getting our clients prepared to this. We are uh, stressing on a few points which are very much crucial to this long distance uh, clients of ours. We explain the essence of proper planning. We explain the way to, we advise the way to organize their process with the remote team. When uh, the remote team gets any questions, what they are supposed to be doing uh, until they get the answers, just because the answer from North America or maybe from Asia may be coming in just next day or in two days, uh, if some like, you know, holidays pop in. Um, Language-wise, of course, with North America, it's still easy because like, you know, every developer of ours, it's a must thing. They are communicative in English. 
uh, when the skill is not enough, we are giving the classes, we are uh, doing all the possible tutoring on site of our uh, office that, to, to, to ensure that the person communication is like, you know, in line with what the client is expecting. With uh, clients from Asia, it is more complicated just because all well, English is less used there in the, in the business uh, environment and in common life. We find the solution, so to say. If it's one country or another, we yeah. are sometimes providing a communications manager uh, knowing the language of that country to be bridging what's in between of the headquarters somewhere in Japan or South Korea or uh, elsewhere. And uh, our team here who is just, for just talking English, for example. Yeah. If it's uh, time difference, like I mentioned, with America, it's uh, one, uh, one side different. With Asia, that would be other side difference when uh, these Asian countries are way ahead of Ukrainian time zone. And we got to be starting, let's say, a little bit sooner uh, in the mornings. Not everyone likes it, but again, this also comes to recruitment when we know exactly what to expect from a client from, from Tokyo mm -hmm. or maybe from, from uh, uh, South Korea or elsewhere. So these points are all important to us. Mm -hmm. We are uh, putting a significant effort into ensuring that we are capable of providing the service that the clients will appreciate. Otherwise, it, to us and to the client, it will be loss of uh, time and lots of money uh, to step into relationship that do not have good chances to actually prevail. Okay. So, so, and, and I guess with just to kind of sum that up, like you said, you're in the middle. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so you're in the, in the middle. So you kind of because of just you know where you are geographically, you're in the middle of both of, of all time zones, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you no, know, with the, talking of South Korea or Japan, for example, the yeah. guy started uh, eight, for example, eight in the morning. And we still have two, three, four hours of uh, uh, simultaneous work with the Japanese colleagues of ours. If it's America, then the teams are advised to be starting later, let's say maybe uh, afternoon, maybe sometimes 11 a.m., maybe 1 p.m. And to those people who we hire, uh, who prefer this kind of uh, day schedule, of course, it's uh, also a benefit to be working on a project like this. And we still uh, provision an ability to the headquarters to be intersecting with their teams for a significant period of time for at least two to three hours to be able to uh, to manage the process on a daily basis. Okay, fair enough. So, so, so how about we how about we do this? All right, just just to kind of you know I don't want to take too much of your time. So, and we want to get into another segment. But how about I ask you just a few more questions? And these questions are going to basically be kind of you know, impartial, non-biased. Okay. So, um, just, we'll, 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 yeah, well, let, let's try, let's figure it out. Okay. So if you had to choose, since you are in Ukraine, correct. In Kiev, if you had to choose another country to nearshore to, where would it be? Uh, if I am a business in Ukraine, that thinks of nearshore, or if I'm a European business, Oh, uh, any business. So. If you, yeah, if you're a European business that's thinking of nearshoring. Now, obviously, it, it, you'd want to say Ukraine, which is fair. Yeah, yeah, but I cannot. Yeah, I understand yeah, so. what they're talking about. I would say, I would say Poland. And the reason behind this is that first, I used to work with Poles. These are good developers, guaranteed. Uh, second, uh, I understand Ukrainians very well. 
And I can say that mentality-wise, uh, Polish and the Ukrainian developers are very alike. They, are, they, they have a like motivation, they have a like approaches, they have a like level. So um, yeah, I can see that they could be Poland. Um, of course, I have reasons uh, not to be going to Poland if uh, I am allowed to say that Ukraine is better from some perspectives. Yeah. But we cannot touch up on this, and I don't want to, your show to be too, too, too biased, so to say. Well, don't worry. Uh, Once I get a Polish person on, then I'll kind of, I'll kind of push them to say Ukraine. Okay, then <laughs> like, let's make it then like a disclaimer. Uh, like you know, I can put it on my whiteboard there. I am biased here, and I am selling Ukraine. Ukraine has lower brain drain problems than Poland does, mm. just because Poland is part of European Union, where people are like you know free to to migrate, to be working in any European Union country, and things like that. Those Ukrainians who wanted to get a permission to work in European Union, they already undertook all the procedures. They made their complex decision of like, you know, really going for good or maybe like you know, for long lasting contract somewhere in Europe and they're already there. Everyone else in Ukraine, they are not in active search for some opportunities in Europe. They want to stay in Ukraine just because the way they earn and what they can be affording themselves in Ukraine that's a it's a it's a good life i mean like you no know, they they really are in the top percentage of uh, people in ukraine who as an industry uh, they really earn very good and uh, those who stay here well obviously there is nothing uh, as a competition between uh, working for some ukrainian company here in ukraine or going elsewhere like in germany in france and in in, in in poland so this is probably the most and the biggest advantage of uh, choosing Ukraine over, let's say, Poland or European Union country. There are disadvantages, I know, but I'll not be like, no, like, mouthing <laughs> myself. Uh, yeah, I am like, no, I can be telling this to any client that asks. Yeah, I can, I can be open on that, no problem. Gotcha. Don't worry, if you say something too bad, we'll just edit it out. It's fine. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. So, so here's another one, okay? Now, out of, out of all of the countries, where you currently have clients, if you had to choose one to move to, to live in, which would it be? Can I still say Zurich because I'm still quite often in Zurich and like, you know, I, I, I like being there. Is okay. it an option? Yeah, of course, of course. As, as long as okay, you- Okay, cool, right. Then, uh, yeah, like, you know, it would be Zurich, Switzerland, just because I, I, I appreciate the way I feel there and I appreciate the business culture there. And uh, this is the, probably the most frequently visited uh, city of, uh, like, you know, of my travel map before the coronavirus, of course. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure after it as well. And just to add a few more points on, uh, for the sake of, like, you know, uprising uh, Zurich, uh, the majority of our clients are still from Switzerland, uh, from from German part of uh, German speaking part of Switzerland, and from Zurich area specifically. So yeah, that would be Zurich. Okay, well, I, I thought you might have picked maybe a warmer weather location. Oh, I would love to, to. Oh, you know what? Like, now I can <laughs> dream too much because I hadn't been traveling for like, you know, three months. So, like, you know, that's, uh, I have lots of, uh, lots of choices to go. What would be yours, Alfie? Me? Who? Um, in terms of vacation or living, where we have living. Living. So, yeah. I, I would go probably, hmm. Let me see. That's a good one. 
I do have a soft spot for France, right? I, I do have a soft spot there. Um, however, I would probably have to go right now. Japan's very interesting. Tokyo is very interesting. It, it, it's, 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 I don't know if I would love it living there, but out of all the places I've been, Tokyo would probably be the most interesting. And, and if you know me, I'm more into not being too comfortable. Right. So, so, so I'd want to go there, kind of test the limits and then maybe I'll come back. I'll say, you know what, this wasn't for me, but to give it a shot. Yeah. yeah Tokyo. And I think in terms of expense, you know, I'm always thinking of the money. So it, it's, it's right up there with Zurich. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I'd say Tokyo is a little bit cheaper, but uh, I, I totally agree with you. Alfie, and uh, Tokyo would definitely be on my list as well. Maybe, maybe almost same high as Zurich. Okay, fair, fair. And, and I also think of the weather. I mean, I, it's, it's, one, it's an island nation, so it's warmer. Zurich is great, Switzerland's great. Um, although if I had to choose, a, if I had to pick a language, if I had to learn one, it might be easier. Okay, that, that sounds insane. Of course, it's not easy learning Japanese, but at least there's one language to learn. Whereas in uh, Switzerland, I don't know if I'd go Zurich. So I'd have to decide, do I want to learn German, French, Italian, or do I want to be somewhere where I can only speak English? And, but thankfully, Switzerland, most Swiss uh, people tend to, to speak English, especially in the German-speaking parts. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I agree. Yeah, so, so here, here's one more thing. Um, now that we're dealing with COVID-19, okay, um, what would you say is, what would you hope to take positively out of this experience, out of dealing with COVID-19? And, you know, the, the world will see afterwards, right? What would you hope to, to take out of this experience? Um, well, there two parts of my answer. First, I want to give a little of insight from, like, you know, Ukrainian-only situation. So Ukraine, overall, we are not taking IT into our mind. Overall, I, Ukraine is not too computer literate nation, so to say. Not speaking of developers. Developers are very cool. <laughs> But uh, with the COVID thing, with the crisis that hit us like you no know, immediately, I see such a growth of, of people who are way far from computers, from something, internet, something that happens there. But I see these people are now using the um, conferencing tools. They're using the word processors. They're using spreadsheets. They're using all set of tools that was kind of too mystery for them like three months ago literally three months ago it was just a no-go i see the offline businesses building up the e-commerce shops or some representation on internet in a way that it also speaks for their maturity if i saw this three months ago i wouldn't guess i would i wouldn't even believe that and i see the biggest take from this of course the scary times for Ukraine specifically, is that the whole nation and all the people are now way more comfortable in uh, operating, let's say, internet, remote things, uh, remote collaboration, uh, some platforms that are like you know providing different accesses to different assets, so to say. Speaking of whole world, I'd probably say exactly the same, but like maybe with different with different uh, idea behind it. I would hope that after the COVID-19 uh, crisis is gone and like, you no, know, we're all back to normal life, uh, we still remember these times when 
first we need to to remember how meaningful and significant the live collaboration is mm -hmm. second we saw all that remote work can be as good as the office work and with this in mind it waves the borders of minds of of uh, mentalities of uh, philosophies to businesses who are now more capable of like you know bringing on more alternatives so to say i'm not pushing for our model specifically i'm just saying that with the uh, conditions we all got to uh, with this uh, crisis uh, we can be learning lots of very nice things and then utilizing them all time uh, afterwards like no lifetime gotcha okay so i think what we'll do now is since we've had you know a decent conversation and um, I hope that uh, everyone that's been viewing has learned a lot from it. Obviously, we could talk on and on and we could, you know, we'll do this again. We can go in for a long time. But let's, let's save the last couple of questions from other sources, okay? So what we want to do every single episode, every single show, is get those who are curious involved, right? So we have a couple of questions just from the internet, right? We're not, we're not going live right now, so these are... Um, questions from the internet and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some of these questions uh, both of us of course can discuss it but you know some will be simple let's just see what we have okay yep. so let's, let's let's just go straight into it okay um, the first question <clears throat> is Ukraine safe I'm very biased out seriously I mean like you no know, I can be answering and yes it is but nobody would trust me because I'm Ukrainian so if you if you don't mind, I can just route it back to you uh, as as an expat, as an American who lives in Ukraine for how long? Like five years, I suppose. Oh, maybe six. Six, yeah. Yeah, close to six, right? And, yeah, and yeah. this fall will be six. Please go ahead and like probably just answer yourself. I'm just. Okay. As well, a well, well, I'll say that. Um, well, you can be trusted. Uh, so, so uh, but but either way, I would say that Ukraine is a place where um, it's just like any big city. Right. Um, obviously, there has been some uh, some bad press, so to speak, um, in recent years. However, nowadays everyone's getting bad press. So I have always said that when it comes to Ukraine, it's a place where you can feel maybe uncomfortable, especially say as an expat, but you don't feel unsafe. And I think a lot of it has to do with the media's portrayal. With, um, the, with media not having a clear understanding of what is actually going on. So things like that, I believe, are, is what really can, can, can hurt the perception. But overall, it's like any big city, um, just like if you were in the US, right? If you were in New York or DC, minus the guns, right? So, so it is one of those things where, you know, I think that, that Ukraine overall is safe. And, and of course, uh, I mean, I've, I'm still here. Uh, you're here, right? <laughs> so you. I could be in Zurich now, huh? <laughs> could be exactly right. You could have left, gone to Zurich. I could have said, "Screw it, I'm gonna go to go to Tokyo." But we're still here. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Just a few cents from my side. Uh, I see lots of expats uh, working for different companies, especially in IT here. Uh, of course, there is a a, a press pressure. And what happens on our east and on our south, uh, these are known, known serious problems to us as a nation. And of course, we are certain that sooner or later, hopefully sooner, 
uh, will get all the lands back and it will be a full peace in any country. But uh, speaking of um, safety of being present in any big city of Ukraine that Ukraine now keeps the control over, it is safe, uh, common life. Uh, COVID-19 has now hit Ukraine slightly less than the, the, the countries in the European Union and of course the United States of America. Uh, the people are moving freely. Uh, people are talking English. Not everyone does, but when they don't understand, they at least smile and they yeah. say, yeah, sure, but you know, all in, in Ukrainian and, and uh, they are trying to assist somehow. So I, uh, using this opportunity, I would also want to welcome everyone to come to Kiev, to Ukraine, to, to see yourself. It is safe. It is very nice. And it has amazing people here around. Hopefully, though, maybe in the summer or the fall, not so much the winter. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, we're still on, like, you know, the flights are still banned by, like, July start, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, cool. So, so here's another question I have. Um, reading here. Uh, okay, this is, this is more direct, and I think it's an easy one for you. Uh, what, what team size is good for nearshoring? Um, we like, you know, that's part of our internal discussions and the belief, but we think that uh, when business comes for one or two developers, mm -hmm. it can be bringing value to uh, the client, but, uh, usually it's the best start. So to say, uh, to get real value from nearshoring, you would hope in ideal scenario, of course, like there are many of uh, these scenarios where the specific need. Uh, implies the size of one or two developers. But uh, in general speaking, uh, the teams of five to 10 people uh, are bringing the most of what Neashoring model may be uh, giving you. Cost inclusive, because on, on a team size like this, you would also feel it on the cost, uh, cost uh, amounts as well. Okay, all right, fair enough. I, I think there's nothing, no need for me to add to that. All right. so, so here's another one. Um, <clears throat> is there a difference in developers from Kiev versus other cities in Ukraine? Uh, I can answer, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I cannot say there is a difference of developers who grew up in Kiev or else cities. We can be reflecting over the quality of education or like, you know, experience these people could have but uh, speaking of facts because these all would be like you know controversial uh, conclusions that like you know some people may argue on and we don't want this to happen uh speaking of kiev and l cities i can just operate the numbers and i am stating and i am claiming that kiev as a one city has approximately 40 percent of all developers in ukraine which means that uh, every else city would be having fewer developers. If there's fewer developers, then fewer companies are coming to this specific city. And if there is a limited number of companies, then the experience these developers can be gaining is slightly lower than they could be getting in Kiev. Just because in Kiev there is a bigger competition for this bigger number of developers, by bigger number of companies. And second part is that uh, the companies 
they well usually I would not if they do not have some like you know their own story with a, some smaller city or town in Ukraine they usually start with the capital the biggest city just because the variety of developers is bigger here the competition in place that's right yeah. so you need to convince the, the developers to accept your offer but uh, we tend to believe that in Kiev there is a bigger choice uh, more people are willing to move to Kiev from else cities than moving from Kiev to else cities and towns so it all makes little little uh, things that may matter during the uh, location selection so to say there might be some disadvantages as well for example I can say that in Kiev the salaries are considered to be higher than in else towns I'm not saying how much higher they are a little bit higher here significantly higher than there but uh, yeah as a capital city it has cost of living and uh, the people are also expecting uh, better wages but these all are not as uh, drastically jumping from 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 zero to uh, dozens of zeros gotcha. okay so i have two more right two more questions um the, the, this one is what's the what's the biggest demand you get from developers uh, for developers or from developers? From developers. From developers. That's a good question. Uh, I can think of many. I'm not. I'm not sure. I can be saying it's the biggest one, but uh, I would split our all developers that we have and those who were considering Mobility as their employer uh, into little groups, so to say. To one group, it is very much important that the uh, office is exactly in this neighborhood, just because they hate using public transport. And it will matter a lot now uh, with the COVID times. Yeah. Once we are back to the office, well, they don't want to be risking or they don't want to be uh, on uh, some public transport for like more than 15 minutes, for example. And uh, that's one group of people. Other group of people may be saying they are driving the cars themselves and they enjoy being the, the car drivers, but they would want the, the cars to be somewhere parked in a safe and in a secure place. So the parking in the downtown where we are now uh, might be a problem to many companies just because, well, there is no space. Like in every big uh, metropolis, there is no space in downtown to park. We are lucky and happy to be able to provision that. Uh, but again, like, you know, it matters not to everyone. The others may say that like, no, they hate open spaces. They want to be uh, getting some intimacy with their colleagues from the same team or maybe uh, be on the offices where like six, eight, maybe 10 people maximum, but it's not an open space where like there is a hundred of people or two hundreds of people. And it may matter to some of them. Uh, many would ask more about the client and yeah. uh, of course these are very important questions like well the, the, the initial three that I name may be considered as something that as a package as, yeah. as a, uh, as a uh, benefits package that we are proposing but uh, understanding what domain the client is working in what stack of technologies they are using and what uh, working process they are utilizing these three items would probably be the most crucial and important for our recruiting team to be able to find the the right talent and for developers they got to be asking these questions because otherwise like you know 
if they don't ask these questions, I'll get them just probably seeking for a paycheck, maybe, yeah, or they're nice. just willing to be part of our company, which I would be, of course, happy with. But uh, typically, uh, these questions are the most important, and these are demands from the uh, developers to come. What technology will it be? Who will I work with? What kind of control will I have? Or for what kind of assistance will I have from the headquarters? Will I be working with a local project manager? Or I'll be working with a Japanese project manager. What language will I use? Uh, what, uh, what time am I supposed to be at work to, to be uh, interacting with this specific client? What kind of tracking tool will I be using? Will it be Jira or Redmine or Trello or like yeah. Monday, whatever? Okay, so, so basically the days of just having a developer want a computer, bean bags, and free coffee, that, that's over. Not only over, but I, we find more and more senior people are not yeah. caring of this, really. They care about the client's uh, product, project, and process. Uh, and they care less. They, they need the hardware, that's obvious. It must be a modern one, very fast, so like, you know, it doesn't put the constraints over the performance of a developer. Beanbags, yeah, it is very important. And we have a couple of them, but really not a deal breaker to any of the developers that we used to talk to. Gotcha. Okay, and I'll end it on, on this last one because like I said I don't want to take, you, take too much time. Um, what is the first thing you're going to do once the uh, quarantine has been lifted? That's easy. I'm dreaming of a big party because I'm missing those. For, like, no, we have a tradition in, in Magaluniki. We run monthly all gatherings. Like, no, I, would, I wanted to say pizza parties, but sometimes we serve not pizza, but something else. Yeah. Uh, so the thing is that once a month, we have a little agenda over like, you know, what I could be talking to the whole team about. And we have some fun over there. So people get together. They are happy seeing new faces for those who just joined the, the company. They are happy seeing people from else floors. They are happy to hang out with a, with a beer or with a non-alcohol drink, whatever beverage. Uh, they are happy to have an ability to interact with each other. And so much happy am I just because I'm missing these gatherings a lot. And uh, I would want to have a conversation with each and every of our guys and girls, like, you know, how was the, the, this period of time when they were remote and how uh, easy was that, how uh, good the collaboration with the, with the teammates and everything. Of course, we have these meetings now. Yeah. Uh, they are all in remote mode and uh, using the conferencing tools and our resource management team is handling all these questions. And I'm running these little... Uh, let's say meaningless chats with pretty much every team that we are having, but that's just different. In a, in a live mode, that would be awesome. And I'm pretty sure on that. And I'm pretty sure the, the, uh, the guys are, they are dreaming of the same. They want to be relieved from this luck and uh, just to have a little bit of fun all together. Yeah, I think, I think I'm probably um, in the same boat on that one, right there with you, just because, you know, you want to talk to people, have a drink, and I think, you know, if you, if you drink at home alone, you feel like an alcoholic. So, you, don't wanna, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, just, you want to see other people and socialize and talk to people. But yeah, I think a lot of people are feeling the, the same way. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that during this time, um, people, you know, will learn, will tune in to, to, to this show. And um, hopefully at some point, we'll all be able to have a, a drink together at uh, some point in the near future. So 
I think that, that's yeah, there, there we go. Right. So, so that, that's, that's it uh, for now. I want to thank you for joining. Uh, you know, we appreciate the insight and um, yeah, I'm pretty sure this will be the first of many and uh, we're just getting started. So thank uh, you all of you for the show. I think it was a great pilot and let's see it live very soon. Definitely looking forward to it. All right. So uh, we are going to sign off now from here in Kiev, Ukraine. Thanks a lot, Kirill. And uh, hey, I'm Alfie. This is Inside Nearshoring. Hope to see you again soon.